house, I'll fix a boiler myself, because if I did, he would, and I couldn't. I don't know what happened in our development as a species, what unfortunate glitch it was in our anthropological journey that led us all to this dependency on stroppy tradesmen for a continued supply of hot water. I wonder how soon after the discovery of fire, a particularly devious caveman who by extraordinary coincidence was called the plumber, started telling everyone that if they didn't boil their water a certain way on a fire started with a certain twig that only he was qualified to supply, it would blow up and kill them. I imagine it was quite soon, knowing human nature. I expect that's why there are cave paintings. It was something to do while they waited in all day Wednesday for the plumber to turn up with his special corgi-registered twigs that cost 65 pebbles a go. In the interests of balance, I can see it must be difficult if you are a plumber to gauge your own popularity. Most reasonable people have a natural sense of how well-liked they are. For example, our postman is nice enough. We're not friends as such, but we are on weather-observing terms. We exchange a few words and that's that. He doesn't go on his way thinking he's a genius, or even especially well-liked by me, merely because he delivered the post to my house and I remarked on the rain we had at the weekend. He and I both know that talking about the weather is the smallest talk there is. It's a safe bet for anyone who wishes to have a quick, uninvolved chat with no risk of it turning into a proper conversation. The window cleaner is Polish. On his twice-yearly visits, he likes to get on with his work without chatting, which is fine by me. He seems affable, and if my Polish were up to it, I expect we could have a pleasant enough conversation about, I don't know, sponges or ladders or something. My point here is this. Neither the postman nor the window cleaner leaves my house under the illusion that he is a really great bloke. Why? Two reasons. One, the circumstances under which they execute their duties are never an emergency. Ever seen a postman or a window cleaner in a hurry? Exactly. Obviously, the postman in a van driving around side streets like a glued-up teenage joyrider is a different matter. I guarantee he's on his way home, so it doesn't count. Two, their jobs are not surrounded by mystery. It is quite easy to see exactly how they do them, and they don't cloak them in obscure terminology to make what they do sound more clever. For example, it would be highly unlikely that the postman would need to explain anything beyond the basic jargon of letter, postcard and parcel. Likewise, nobody really quizzes their window cleaner about buckets and J-cloths. The plumber, however, is almost always called to your house when something isn't working properly, like a pipe that's spraying a jet of water all over the bathroom carpet or just leaking sewage into your sitting room. When he walks in and solves the problem, your gratitude is actually disproportionate to the task that he's completed, which is why he then leaves your house thinking... I must be fantastic, because they said I was, just like the people in the last house did, even though I pitched up late there as well. So what, you may think? Don't be so harsh. He did a good job. He deserves praise. Wrong. He did his job, not a good job. He shouldn't be praised. He should be thanked, of course, but no more than you would thank anybody else for doing the job you paid them to do. But if it's truly deluded self-regard you're after... Look no further than the so-called professional whose trademark tools are carried in a briefcase. When my wife Jane and I moved into our first tiny house in Tooting, south-west London, we congratulated ourselves endlessly on living in such a rough pocket of town. We thought it was quite clever to live in a real urban area, surrounded by people who spent much of their time leaning against things and shouting across the street to each other. All the females from the age of three up until they were grannies, at about 32, had their hair scraped back tightly over their skulls so that their bubble gum wouldn't get tangled in it. 
The menfolk always walked as if they had nowhere to go, a sort of listless meander that allowed for peering into parked cars and lazily gobbing on the pavement. It was great. We were really pleased that we'd bought there, and as soon as we'd had Bannams round to fit collapsible gates on all the windows and a triple-locking deadbolt on the front door, we felt quite cosy. We bought the house from a vicar, and when we went to look around it, we were struck by how chillingly breezy it was. I said to Jane that it was just because he was an ascetic who felt closer to God the colder he and his family became. Jane didn't agree, and said that we should have a survey done. Once we completed and moved in, I realised that his penchant for draftiness was more to do with creating a constant flow of fresh air through the house that would mask the musty smell of damp. And before you put your pennyworth in, yes, we did employ a surveyor, that's my point. All he said in his ever-so-neatly typed report was that it was not possible to inspect under the carpets or wallpaper to check for dry rot and damp, so therefore he couldn't guarantee...